I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Andy Greenwald. I have no official title at TheRinger.com. I should talk to someone about that. Chris Ryan is on vacation, probably staying at a hotel that he booked using a very successful and popular service like Hotel Tonight. I don't know. I hope he's having a good time. I miss him. I'm all alone in the studio. Well, I'm not really alone because Zach Mack is here on the boards. I also won't be alone soon because today's show is a special show. David Wayne is going to join me. I am so excited to talk to David Wayne. And by the way, yes, podcasters usually record intros after they do the interview so they can sort of act prescient and wise about the warm conversation they just had. I have no idea what this conversation is going to be like, although I I hope it's um, warm. I've never actually spoken to David Wayne at length before, but I've been a fan of his work for a long time. I was a huge fan of his comedy troupe, The State, back in the 90s, and I am a fan of his current projects, including Wet Hot American Summer, Ten Years Later, the series that is on Netflix now. I just finished it last night. We're going to talk about that, how he assembles those insane casts and films around their wild production schedules. I also hope to talk to him about this National Lampoon movie that he has coming up, which also has a remarkable and crazy cast of people playing very, very famous comedians. So he's always working on stuff. I think it'll be an interesting conversation. We're going to get right into it. I just have to say one other thing, though, before we do. Zach was wondering if there was any cultural news to hit. Did you guys know that Halt and Catch Fire, one of the best shows on TV, is returning for its fourth and final season on Saturday on AMC? I did a poll on Twitter, which is a weird thing to say. I have literally never done a poll on Twitter before. But I had to ask people, why don't I know about this? Is it because I am old now and don't pay attention? Or is it because AMC totally dropped the ball in promoting this thing? And I kind of feel like, well, the first, the former is true. But, but if that's a given, I kind of feel like it's the latter. I don't know. I haven't read the tea leaves. I haven't spoken to anyone about this. But it's a miracle that we got four seasons of Halt and Catch Fire, especially because, as many longtime listeners or readers know, I wasn't that enamored with the first season. But talk about taking the leap. The show got really good in the second season, got even better in the third. I'm really happy it's a small miracle that it got a fourth season, considering its ratings. I've always considered it to be the height of uh, peak TV jujitsu that Joel Stillerman and his team at AMC managed to somehow convince shareholders or whoever they have to convince that it's worth funding because it really is that good of a show. Worth noting, Joel Stillerman, who championed the show at AMC, no longer at AMC, now at Hulu. So I wonder if that's why I don't know about this fourth season premiere and why it's premiering on Saturday night. But look, we are post-air date, right? It doesn't really matter. Everyone watches stuff streaming or on demand anyway. And so though I haven't seen the season premiere, let me just say again, if you're interested in smart, nuanced, character-based television, uh, look, we all love dragons, but it's really cool to see emotional storytelling that doesn't involve dragons, too. I really think you should check out Halt and Catch Fire. I believe all three seasons, including season three, which had a stunning finale and really shocking and cool time jump, uh, all are available on Netflix, so you should check those out. But season four of Halt and Catch Fire premieres on Saturday. I recommend this show. I stand by it. I look forward to watching it. Um, hopefully we'll have the ringers, Allison Herman or somebody on, uh, in the next few weeks to talk about the show, uh, as well as the two Chris's, not Chris Ryan, but Chris Cantwell and Chris Rogers who created the show. I'd love to have them back on the podcast as well. So check that out. And then let's just get into it. Let's, sorry, Chris, you're missing out. This is my conversation with David Wayne. I want to talk to you about a bunch of projects. Um, but I think we should start in the wet, hot expanded universe because that's, 
that, that's and for those like not relevant. in the know, yeah. Wet Hot American Summer is what you're referring not the to. Wet Hot Universe. That well, we Wet Hot is the like the shortened hipster. Oh yeah, abbreviation. Do you, you you protest that you like the? No, full... I don't protest it. I just want to make sure the audience is not lost. It's true. If you spoke into Siri and said, "Show me Wet Hot." You might get like Cinemax After Dark entries. Likely, if you if you Google just wet hot, you're in trouble. Terrifying. <laughs> yeah, incognito mode for that. Okay, yeah. okay. So for people who don't know, uh, and I'm gonna go back even further than than Wet Hot American Summer. If you're ready to, wow. to go on the way back, wait, machine. wait a minute. I am. I am now ready. Now I'm ready. Well, I'm not doing it yet. Okay, but I'm ready. And whenever you do it, you do, he looks calm and ready. I appreciate that. Thank in a you. guest. Wet Hot American Summer is a absolutely. I'm gonna say classic now, but it's absolutely. Wonderful. It is one of the film. great seminal mm-hmm. movies of all time. Very seminal, throughout. <laughs> I don't even know what seminal means, but yes. I, I, I was just thinking of certain scenes. Yeah. Um, came out in two thousand. Yeah, two thousand one. Two thousand one. Shot in two thousand. Uh, shot in very rainy summer camp in upstate New York. Came out in, in two, Pennsylvania. Sorry, Pennsylvania. I'm here to correct the record. Let me tell you how you made your movie. <laughs> this whose show is this? Uh, came out in two thousand one. Um, I developed a cult following, as it should have. And then uh, I'd like – because we have a – we had nothing for 15 years – 14 years in right. this in this world. And then a Netflix series that was absolutely terrific uh, that was the first day of camp. Yeah. And then two years later in short order, we have another miniseries. Weirdly. <laughs> it, that That's the part I want to talk about. And I think it's a question about TV in general and your business in general. You can go from having this thing that – was beloved by hopefully the right people. People really enjoyed this. Um, and I'm sure there were years, a decade even, when people who were partisans of the movie, big fans, would come up to you and say, oh, I wish there could be more. Right. And it was an almost absurd question because of the bottom line box office receipts that you had. And yet something turned. Where Right. Well, where the, I think two things turned. Internally with our movie, the, the stature of the movie kept rising yeah. higher and the people who were fans of it kept getting older and some of them got jobs in Hollywood. And so, uh, those two things came together and made it actually more viable for us to do something more with it. Um, and as we got further and further away from the 299,000 worldwide gross <laughs> Uh, that, that's, of the movie. that's dollars or lira or uh, two hundred ninety nine thousand dollars, <laughs> and um, so because a lot of times throughout my career since Wet Hot, I would have meetings with studios about various jobs or opportunities, and they were excited to meet me and they liked what they saw, da, 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 and then they would do their homework and look up the numbers and they'd be like, oh, forget it. <laughs> back away quietly. This. this has happened in real ways all the time. Like we'd be yeah. go down way down the road on a project. They'd see the numbers for the one movie I had directed, and they're like, "Oh, oh no, 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 no." Um, so then the other thing, of course, that changed is the landscape of TV changed so much, mm-hmm. and movies too, where there was you know, Wet Hot was made sort of right in the middle of the indie film time in New York, um, even though it didn't end up getting bought like <laughs> we had hoped at Sundance, but. Um, and then we thought of initially, let's make a sequel movie or a prequel movie. And the movie that we were writing creatively became so it was too expansive, and we were having trouble conceiving it to be limited to the length of a feature film. Mm-hmm. And then we looked around and we're like, "What is this Netflix thing? It's like this whole other genre that's kind of better than a movie and better than a TV show for this." Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's how we. We decided to pitch the idea to Netflix specifically, and if they said yes, we would do it. 
And that's what we did. And this is you and Michael Showalter. Right. Um, along with John Stern, who mm-hmm. uh, produced it with us. And then we um, – uh, it went better than – in every way, internally and externally, better than we ever anticipated. And so it was a natural conversation to say, should we do it again? <laughs> and so I didn't – I was terrified when we first did it. I thought there was a million pitfalls to trying to revisit yeah. Wet Hot American Summer in any way. Um, but for my money, it worked well enough and it was fun enough and it was exciting enough that I, that I would thought, sure, let's try it again. <laughs> One of the hallmarks of the, the first series of the first day of camp was you not only managed to uh, reunite a truly incredible cast and add to it, um, but you navigated what must have been quite a production, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say headache, but... You had the puzzle the of puzzle actor pieces. schedules yes, was be- insane because you, um, for people who don't know, um, stars of the original film included Paul Rudd and Bradley Cooper, um, Elizabeth Banks, Amy Poehler, Elizabeth Banks, um, certain, certainly many more. And then for the the first series back, you know, you added you added John Hamm and um, Jason Schwartzman and Chris Pine. These are people who are busy. Um, they're busy, and they're also in all every case of everyone who was in the original film and there were dozens of them mm-hmm. that we wanted to make sure we brought every single one back mm-hmm. they're not replaceable yes and usually when you're scheduling a shoot like this if it's a movie shoot if they can't make the dates you get somebody else yeah or you maybe do a little sque- moving around but basically if you can't be there when you need them you get somebody else in our case we didn't have that option and we also were working on a relatively low budget low mm-hmm. uh, short schedule and so we just had no choice but to tell every actor Come when you can, because mm-hmm. we're not paying them that much either. Mm-hmm. Come when you can for as long as you can or as short as you can, and we'll we'll figure it out. And so we ended up shooting many scenes three, four, five times just to make sure to get every actor and every angle and yeah. all that. How much of that? That it's it's fun because it you know the part of the and I guess this is also the legend of, of when you made the original film. You actually you had that cast and you were all living together on this camp. Yeah, very rainy. How many weeks was it? Were you there? Uh, it was 28 shooting days. It was 28 shooting days. Um, people grew close. People spent a lot of time together yeah. during that time. I think there's a documentary. Or a, it was a, very much like being at camp. Yeah, there's a great documentary on Netflix, Hurricane of Fun. Right, which is I highly recommend as well. Um, that captures the spirit of it. In a way, although now people are older, some you know people are more successful, more established. You have Netflix, which is spending six billion dollars, though not. Not, wholly not, on your not, not wholly on our, believe me. <laughs> but <laughs> we're in like tier four. <laughs> but but you are. It, it does seem like you recreated part of that spirit in terms of just like let's let's get this done how we can. Let's be fluid. Let's figure stuff out on the fly. Oh, I feel like I've uh, called on every crafty, tricky, crazy move I've learned starting from when I was at NYU of how to do something with without any resources. Uh, especially in this, because even though we have a budget that's decent, especially in our second time around, um, all of it went to trying to figure out exactly that puzzle uh, in in a lot of ways. And also we we had budgeted the second round based on what we did the first round, but then we then wrote the script. And the script turned out to just be maybe four times more ambitious from of, a production of, which series? of the of Wet Hot American Summer of what because yes. the second se- the, the 10 years later I mean it's an, which series script yeah. turned out to be 10 times more ambitious yes. 
than the first day of camp script. Well, you've got nuclear weapons. That, nuclear weapons and, and, and a helicopter shot. Uh, literally twice as many locations and yeah. many more characters and many more scenes. And, yeah. and all that stuff is so complicated. And our first uh, assistant director was just terrified trying to make a schedule. And it was it was really hard. Um, but, you know, we did, we ha- you usually make this budget after you read the script because we really it's really more making a movie than a TV show. Right. I, I, I've it, it's part of the fun for me of watching it, especially the new series. Was I, I I've, I've turned into like an amateur um, cinema sleuth where I'm trying to see is anyone else actually in the room during that shot? Like is she right. interacting with anyone else? Or right. Are we only cutting from behind? I mean, but that's that's part of the fun of it. I mean, you know, in the well, original... sometimes we'll make a joke out of it. Right. Exactly. And, but we try to. My goal was when we weren't making a joke out of it to try to sell it the best we can, you know, and make it. Not make you be thinking about that, hopefully, too much. But, for example, you did do, and you did this very skillfully and in a very amusing way, there are two characters in the new series 10 years later who were not present right. in the previous film or series. Yet Mark, Mark Forestine yeah, yes. and Sarah Burns, Sarah Burns Mark and Claire. And you've dropped them into the first scene of the new series to suggest they always had been. Right. And you roll with it. Because and in why fact, not? What's so funny is the joke to me was – as if we're going to try to fool anyone. Yeah. But then we, as it turns out, uh, unbeknownst to me, we did actually fool some people. People yeah. were like, I didn't remember them in the first <laughs> one. But then I saw that flashback scene. I guess they were. And I'm like, no, no, that was the joke. <laughs> people, um, it's really, one of the, as a fan of the original, it's one of the fun things about it is seeing these people continue to play these parts. And you steer into that by having them, you know, 15 years older playing themselves at the first day of camp. And now they're playing 26 year olds, even though most people are now beyond that age as well. To me, one of the one of the big overall jokes to the whole thing, which to me is makes is so funny to me, is that we're treating this scrappy, dinky movie that we made for nothing as like the Godfather, you know, and every frame of it is this Rosetta Stone of source material. And it's just so ridiculous. But that's that's a meta thing in the show because the camp itself is the stand in for the film, right? Where it's just like, what's this little camp actually mean to people? Right. And why do we keep going back to it? And yet it means the world. It's literally. Literally, the the, presidency is at stake. The survival of the planet. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So despite the the far ranging careers of all these people, they're ready to come back to camp. can you tell me how are how easy are those phone calls to make? Because there are some people. What's nice about it is that even the actors who you know who clearly were either busy or shooting something else would show up for as much as you said for as much as they could. And then you have people like Paul Rudd, who is a literally a Marvel superhero, who I feel like you have to drag away from yeah. the set. He is willing to do. Is he he appears to be willing to do anything. I mean, basically, no, he's not. I mean, I think basically the. Goodwill among the cast has been there all along, which is great fortune for us. Mm-hmm. And, and that people, we all had such a great time doing that. And for some of us, Elizabeth Banks, Bradley Cooper, their very first job in the business. Oh, that's and right. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of, uh, and we it is like a family reunion. So I think everyone involved is wants to do it. And so my phone call both times was like, "Hey, we're going to be doing it again. Are you in?" And the answer is always, of course. Yeah, sure. If if it works out schedule wise, yeah. you know, and then then it becomes the very long, arduous, difficult job of their people and our people making those deals the and dance. figuring out the schedules. And believe me, it's as it was actually on the first movie too. We didn't know if Janine Garofalo was going to show up, to, and she was the, the what was the financial uh, motor of that first. She was the most famous person at yeah. that time, right? Yeah, and. Uh, there was, you know, it's always last minute and deal making and deal breaking and it's, it's, that doesn't change. And so 
um, there was always drama, and every day we had to shuck and jive and try and be like, okay, well, I guess we're not shooting this scene that day because this guy can't show up, so we'll change the character or we'll move the story. Mm-hmm. Like so much of what's in there is a result of um, the realities of of schedules. <laughs> I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised to see Chris Pine back because you know he is busy. everyone's busy, but yeah. he, he is he's Captain Kirk, he's in Wonder Woman. And he felt like the person who joined your your gang, you know, for for the last go round. Also, because he died in it. No, right. sorry. No, that, yeah. But yeah, there he was, back with dreadlocks and just looking, doing great. I, I don't want to call him dreadlocks. It's a Duritz thing. Well, he's it's just amazing. Terrific. He is really incredible. He's really funny. Um, I mean, I was I was I was so sad not to bring back Michael Sarah and not yeah. to bring back John Hamm, for example, in this one. And there was definitely a few people that um, didn't make it in it. But and at a certain point, it really then that became a creative thing. Just like. We could not fit every single yeah. person in the script, um, but uh, because it starts to—I mean, part of the joke of this year is is the bloat mm-hmm. and the overkill and the endings and everything—and um, the poster kind of um, illustrates that a little bit. But uh, yeah, at a certain point, we just have to be like, okay, there's not room for this character or that character. Yeah, I wonder what it's like on set because, you know, as, as we're alluding to, we have people who have wide-ranging careers, and then there's Chris Pine. Uh, and Chris Maloney and Jason Schwartzman in a van with a talking can of vegetables. Does that infect the set in a fun way? That they're like, well, this is this is play. This is fun. Yeah, I mean, it's it sounds so. I don't know how it sounds to say it, but when you're shooting something, you're just shooting something, and it's right. the it's same. As it, but it's the same exact feeling as when I was at NYU shooting a student film with my friends, like. They're the actors. We're figuring out what the scene is. We're trying to figure out the funniest jokes. We're trying to figure out the best way to shoot it. And we're having fun and we're laughing. And, um, and I think nobody's thinking about the fact that he's the star of Wonder Woman. Because he doesn't bring that to you either, right? He's there to have a good time. Yeah, I mean, of course, they'll joke about it. All, you know, like, I'm a huge star. <laughs> yeah. No, but it, it really – I mean, you know, Bradley Cooper is someone who's become obviously a huge, huge star. When he came back last year, he was exactly the same – sweet, curious, just dude that I met way back then. Um, and it felt like no time had passed, even though I hadn't seen him in years. I don't I, I don't want to spoil the new series, but I do want to – you mentioned the ending. The ending was possibly my favorite part. Uh, well, why don't we just with, say with spoiler? Spoiler. Then... Well, no, I don't want people to even jump. It's just – it's worth okay. it. It's worth getting to the end. Let's put it that way. It right. is, and it, it, the one scene that I do want to mention is when I was trying to think of a way to sort of distill what I find so funny about – this project and also a lot of what you do, uh, the, the moment that I laughed hardest at, I think, occurs in the finale. And it's a almost nothing cutaway to Jason Schwartzman, who is being a fully 90s bartender, and he bobbles the swizzle stick. Yeah. It, it is so purely funny and foolish in a way, but but it, with intent. And G- it's yeah. there. You kept that moment in a way that is that is beautiful to Jason me. Jason Schwartzman is so brilliant. In those little moments, like where he he will take, he had a non-speaking role in that scene. <laughs> he owned it. I mean, he just he he literally was an extra in this scene. And we said we rolled the camera. We said, okay, you're a bartender. What are you going to do? And he did like ten things, <laughs> and they were all like uh, indispensable. It was so amazing. And that, I I just one of my great pleasures of what I do is seeing people who are just the, that kind of magical actor mm-hmm. who can just come in and. You know, Paul Rudd is like this too, and most of the cast we work with, all of them, they're they just they they teach me every day, or just show me what what pure talent is all about. Well, it's something that I I think you probably would use other words and feel free to put them in my place. But there's a there's a commitment to the beauty of foolishness 
in 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 what it's you do. A good way to say it. You know, it's it's not clowning, but it's there's there's it's elevated. You know, but it is purely foolish, and the laugh is immediate. Well, that, I think that, that, that runs uh, throughout what you do. Yeah, the the great performers in what we've done, I think, are find a way to be so p- fully committed to the reality, as it were, of the material. Uh, as if there's no joke there, but then they're also aware of where the joke is and they know how to deliver it. You know, And I think doing both at the same time is an amazing juggling act that all these actors can do. I wanted to I, – I teased it at the beginning, so this is good three-act storytelling. Oh, wow. But I wanted to go back in time a little bit. Nice. Um, and what I wanted to talk about briefly was – You might all remember earlier on we mentioned <laughs> that we're going to go back in time. And now here we are. Here we are. This is the moment. <clears throat> um I first became aware of all you guys when I think you first broke through, which is with the state. And actually, though, I watched you wrote it. You you wrote it. You watch it as well. Um, wow! So I remember back in the day. Um, I loved the state. I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. Thank you. Um, and it, it wasn't just my fandom that I remember. There's a though. fun article, by the way, in the Village Voice yes. this week. You can look up. Um, oh, it's on my website where Tom Lennon and Ben Grant recall. Our days at NYU. Oh, really? And what that was all all about. I would like to read that. Yeah. I. For people who don't know that the, the comedy group that all you guys started with, The State, came out of NYU, um, was on MTV in 93, 94, 95, yeah. which for me was the, the um, sophomore, junior, and senior year of high school. And, which was, and for us was like year one, two, and three out of college. Out of college. So like, which was crazy. And so the rev- I remember learning later that the reviews hadn't been you know, ecstatic. But the people oh, who, they were savage. who were your age or close yeah. thought this was the greatest thing ever. Exactly. But the, the TV critics at the time, they were hostile. It, and and, and the, it's beginning a long tradition of hostile reviews that we've gotten where the people are like, what, what, what is this? What is it? What, yeah. Why is this even on? I don't yeah. get it. I'm, I hate this. You know? I remember reading that for Stella and yeah. thinking the same thing. Oh, yeah. And for Wet Hot American Summer. Initially, yeah. I don't know why. I could say Wet Hot. I, I'd prefer it now. You've already said it a few yeah. times. I didn't call you on it because I'm a gracious host. Thank but, you. Um, I remember thinking of this as a lesson in, for lack of a better word, show business, because I thought the state was the greatest thing in the world. And then I remember reading, I don't know, there was Esquire, GQ. There was this big feature on you guys, and you had the move to CBS, and there was the special. Details magazine. The details. I was a big details guy. This is the 90s. Yeah. This is almost as 90s as your new series. I can't believe we didn't do something about details in the in the new series. The, but, <laughs> the shot of um, Claire and, um, what's his name, the new Mark. character, Mark's apartment. Oh, yeah. That was the other time I laughed the hardest. It was pure, perfect, uncut. Like you will OD on it. Nineties. Yep. It's so good. Thank um, you. That's yeah. Our uh, production designer, uh, <laughs> incredible. You should have put details on the coffee table, but and I remember thinking, oh, my guys have made it. Like I was, you know, invested like a minor league team, and then it went away. And and what I remember thinking, I you know, I knew nothing about how any business actually worked, was that it, that's a wrap. They're done. Like how, because when I heard that you went to CBS, I was like, well, they are now. Saturday Night Live, and they will be on for 30 years because talented people who I like don't fail. I had a very gentle, <laughs> very gentle childhood, you know? Yeah. And what's actually been amazing and exciting to watch on a like meta level or, you know, not just as a fan level was that none of you guys stopped, you know, yeah. and that you continued to work and, and have good taste and people that you worked with, as you said, you, I mean, you were joking, but it's true, pr- were promoted either in their careers or behind the scenes to a point where... Um, your sensibility. I, well, I, don't want to say, I don't want to say you won. We but. also just continue to work with each other yeah. consistently. And I think that was a good check on each other and a good bolster for each other. And so it was this group of 11 of us and we just kept going in different ways till now. 
Okay, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Guys, our sponsor, I alluded to it at the beginning, it's Hotel Tonight. It's an awesome app that helps you find amazing hotel deals at the last minute. I know Chris Ryan uses it. I look forward to using it. I have kids, so I don't get to go away that much. Look, it sounds counterintuitive, but unlike flights, hotel rates usually get cheaper at the last minute. Hotel Tonight helps hotels sell their unsold rooms. That allows them to pass those deals on to you. Yes, I'm talking to you, watch listeners. These hotels are not last resort type places. I imagine they are literally resorts or cool top rated hotels, places you will want to stay. And with so many awesome partner hotels in a ton of different countries, Hotel Tonight can help you find a great hotel almost anywhere. It is perfect for a spontaneous getaway or maybe finally taking the plunge going on that dream trip you've been wanting to take for a while. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to go, Zach? I haven't been to Mexico City in a minute. I'd like to go to Tokyo. Zach wants to go to Tokyo. So without Chris, we're taking a road trip to Tokyo, and we're going to start browsing Hotel Tonight now. Look, though the app's name is Hotel Tonight, you don't actually have to use it for last-minute, just-tonight deals. You can book up to a week in advance. All it takes is 10 seconds. It's three taps, a swipe. You'll be staying in some place nice. See if they have a place with a hot tub. I love a hot tub. Here's the deal, watch listeners. Get in on these killer last-minute deals. Download the Hotel Tonight app now. So to have immediate success, as you guys did out of, I mean, obviously not with the critics, but you had a TV show. Yeah. The thing that you were doing in college was working. Oh, it was such a ride. I mean, we were, we, and to some degree, we were aware that this was insane, you know, that we had our own TV show that they really just gave the keys to the yeah. candy store to us. We had n- basically no oversight, really, at MTV. And, the, and what little oversight we had, we hate, we were like rebe- rebelling against like crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was nuts. But when you talk to, or I've talked to, or when you read about, or I've talked to bands who had like one hit, you know, they became one hit wonders, but they were young bands, they have a big success, big album, and then they fall off, and then they're they're done. The, the missing link is often the understanding that, you know, you're playing the long game, you work, as you're saying, you can, the only thing you can control is what you generate, you do yeah. your own work. Why do you think you guys, in different ways, were able to internalize that at such a young age and keep going, and not just have that first hit be... Fatal. Well, I think everyone in the group, there was 11 of us, had a very different journey yeah, to true. the to most of us ending up kind of out here in L.A. and being somewhat successful or, or you know, varying degrees of successful. But uh, I guess we did have a work ethic that we all learned together as teenagers at NYU, which was about quantity, like because we had such um, competition mm-hmm. to get our material onto the stage or later onto our TV show where every day we'd have a pitch meeting and you'd have to pitch really hard and hope that the others, you know, and it it was our job to be super critical and you'd write, we'd write 200 sketches for what would end up being a 13 sketch episode of the Mm -hmm. state. So we knew, I think we learned or internalized early on that notion of just keep going, just keep cranking them out. Like, okay, this one didn't work. Next one, you know, like moving on, moving on, you know, like, and not being precious about a joke or a material or a whole project. Mm-hmm. And I think that probably is a unifying thing um, among a, a very diverse journeys that we've all been on. But uh, I, I always think about how much I learned about just knowing. And then and I use it every day when I'm directing, too, even the smallest things. Like the, you're standing there and the set that you've spent a month building gets hit by a rainstorm. This happened to us on the 10. And the whole thing f- falls down and is destroyed. And so you take a breath and you say, okay, here's plan B. And you just keep going. You know? But that's a, a level of um, awareness or external awareness um, that I do think is rare. Because 
you know, uh, there, on one level, there's the um, there's the sort of fairy tale version of it, which is that you and your college friends thought you were funny, enjoyed making each other laugh, and there's the wonderful confidence of young people where you're like, well, this is funny. Other people will like it. Right. Um, but they're all at some point. There's a check against that, you know, or there's a, there's a there's a you have to learn that you have to have, continue to have that faith. Right. Because that's carried you guys. And it has worked. But you also have to be able to either take criticism or adjust or as you adjust on the fly. Well, our saying. criticism was mostly internal among us. And so right. but and then externally, we we just had this cocksure attitude beyond belief that we were the best and we were going to take over the world and change comedy. And somehow that served us that that cocky attitude helped us move in that direction. There was something that I and I I don't think I'm alone um, in your fandom in thinking this way, but it it did make a because of when we first came in touch with came in contact with your comedy and the way that we did it does there's a personal element to it so that like when I saw the trailer for Role Models and saw that you directed that I'm like they gave him the keys you know what I mean like this work pays off um, yeah, yeah and that's a terrific movie by the way and it's fun to see all of you in different ways having the same sensibility but slowly making the bigger industry not a bend to you in a way obviously you've been you've all had to bend to it in different ways this of is course it's becoming gymnastic in an well, uncomfortable to me, the, way the, but... when we did two years ago the wet hot american summer series at netflix yeah. that's when i started to feel like oh finally some legit yeah part of this industry is accepting what we do in a way that is not completely sidelined and it felt yeah. really great i mean there is a is there a sort of a beyond even the 11 of you in the state? Do you feel a solidarity with certain New York performers or a community of comedic performers that started on the fringes and then slowly infiltrated the mainstream? Oh, yeah, of course. Well, I mean, um, right right after this, right around the end of the state TV show is when Michael Showalter, Michael Black and I started doing uh, hanging out in the alternative comedy mm-hmm. stand up world you, you, in New York. Doing a Mark Maron voice. Yeah, I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> but that's what it was. And, 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 and so <clears throat> we would go to Rebar on Monday nights. And mm-hmm. it, on a typical night, it was Mark Marin and then Louis C.K. and then Janine Garofalo and uh, then Todd Berry. And we would sometimes go up or we would sometimes host. And, um, and that led to Stella. Um, but that whole – I mean those guys were the towering – like the adults. Mm-hmm. You know, we were the kids. Like I, we, I did not consider any of those people my peers at all. Mm-hmm. I still don't. Um, of course, but then the people that we were uh, with, um, you know, Leo Allen and uh, Ad Miles, and you know, large group of um, people that we were in that world with, you know, then we most everyone migrated to LA, and you know, I think we feel part of that community. Although the state, more than a lot of sketch comedy types. Um, we were much more in our own bubble, yeah. and we never had anybody. We had numbers. You had we had numbers, and so we, we never had any motivation to bring anybody else on our show. It was hard enough to cast ourselves mm-hmm. in a given episode, and then we uh, were not an out. Uh, we had no relationship to uh, Groundlings or Second City mm-hmm. or anything like that. And it was UCB didn't exist when we started, and um, so it, it, we weren't part of that uh, any structured world. But I really like, and I feel like we. Not enough attention is paid to stories of, of, of patience, you know, and just and, and yeah. playing the long game, doing good work. I, I think about how, and I, I don't, I, I think this is correct that I, Jesse Klein, being in New York, used to work at Comedy Central. Yeah, she right? was the executive. Didn't she exec, she, 
uh, in charge of Stella. In charge of Stella and didn't work from a mass audience perspective, right? And then right. you guys have these shows now. She was writing for Amy She's Schumer. She has her superstar book. These things, if, if you are funny and talented, I feel like it, looking at these stories of the long game help. Oh, I think I see that all the time. P- yeah. People, it's just, yeah, you just got, it's the ones who stick with it. I think... I think they have everyone eventually if you're if you have talent you stick with it, it you find your place and it's it is encouraging in that way um and I had a really long period of really bad times in my career after the state and before Stella mm-hmm. um which was basically 10 years um including the making and releasing of Wet Hot American Summer yeah. was an incredibly dry time for me and I was I had almost no income and I didn't know what I was going to do and I was depressed a lot and I had very little work but I never stopped working ever I was constantly trying to generate this and do projects and make stuff and that's when we made all those Stella shorts and that's Mm -hmm. when we you know did a zillion things Um, but I didn't really work consistently or have uh, income until the Stella show on Comedy Central in 2005. Or even I mean we're talking about your creative partner in so many things. I mean, Michael Showalter directed The Big Sick, you know, yeah. which is a huge movie and and was and, and was critically adored, you know. And he, it, it's not like he came out of nowhere to direct this. Right. He's done the work that led to the thing that he's now being lauded for. And, oh yeah. And probably knowing him, or I mean, I don't know him, but knowing the way all of you guys work, he kept working in the interim. You know that that that's oh, the yeah, lesson. He never stopped. You just I mean, can't and, stop. and then and yeah, I mean, his everyone's journey is so completely different. I mean, he he was teaching screenwriting at NYU for so long, right? But as it turns out, that was like a huge preparation and and also networking for him to meet the people that he would collaborate with and um, and also learn storycraft. And mm-hmm. you know, he was he. It's amazing what he's done, and but not surprising at all because he's a, a brilliant mind and and he's having an incredible year. I want to ask you about uh, upcoming things. Um, this uh, National Lampoon movie. Yeah. Is that wrapped? Is that a movie that you've made? A, f- a futile and stupid gesture. Great name. It's wrapped. Uh, we're finishing it up uh, now. We'll, we're, it'll be done in the next little bit. And so this is for Netflix. This is going to be for Netflix. And it, this is an incredible thing to me because this is a film that you've directed that is about the National Lampoon magazine and the brilliant minds, right? Right. That, that passed through creative. And it's specifically it. about Doug Kenny, the founder right. of National Lampoon, who then went on to create Animal House and Caddyshack. So, in order to make this film, you have to make a film about people we know, famous people who right. passed through people f- visually. Like Very tricky. Bill Murray or John Belushi. These you have to yep. cast these people. Right. Um, I have the IMDb page open. You have a. It's what's more than a murderer's row? Who 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 kills more than murderers? Because the cast you have is outrageous of just incredibly funny people. Yeah, who you've given the terrible <laughs> albatross of playing more famous people who yeah, are funny, famous comedians who are still with us. Yes, yes. it's insane. Ha, ha, after speaking to you for this amount of time, I, I I'm not going to question your bravery in taking this on or why you did, but how how did you? Is the question. Well, we talked a lot about that pitfall of like how do you how do you get famous people playing more famous people or, mm-hmm. or the previous generation of famous people who everyone knows who, how they look and t- sound and are we doing imitations? Is this, is this uh, you know, Frank Caliendo territory? Like what's right. going on here? And we knew that there's a lot of ways to do this wrong. Mm-hmm. And then we thought about, do we completely go against type? Do we do this like Hamilton? You know, like where we cast mm-hmm. people that look nothing like them and so mm-hmm. that we're not thinking about it that way. We thought about 
a million ways. And then what we ended up kind of doing was just going with our gut and not doing any big conceptual mm -hmm. huge choice, except for that the story itself is really primarily about Doug Kenny, who is um, – He's played by Will Forte in the movie. Played by Will Forte. And Doug was uh, – as far as being on camera, very reclusive. So most people don't mm -hmm. most people don't know his name unless you're a comedy nerd, and most people don't uh, have any idea how he sounded or, or anything like that. But he, um, but the other characters around, we just did our best to emulate the spirit of them without worrying too much about doing an impression, um, and just tell the story. And and it's a really cool movie, I think. We're still finishing it. Um, but I uh, I think people will enjoy how it all comes together. It's exciting. I mean, you, you have uh, John Daly playing Bill Murray, you have Joel McHale brilliant. playing Chevy Chase, yep. which is wonderful on a number of, of levels. Yep. Um, but it goes so deep. I'm just looking at it right now. I mean, Seth Green is playing Christopher Guest. Yep. All, uh, people, Jackie Tone as Gilda Radner is amazing. But, yeah. but these are people who we know, it's just really exciting that people were excited to see on both sides of the of, yeah. of the ball, if you will. Like we want to see these performers, but then we're seeing them play performers we also want to see. Right. That's exciting. Um, I mean, it's that interesting thing. I always remember when I was watching the movie The Doors, yeah. which I loved at the time. I haven't seen it in a long time. But you start to, you know, very quickly you start to forget the exactitude of what the other per the real person looked yeah. like. And you're just following Val Kilmer playing Jim Morrison. Yeah. But then at a certain moment, suddenly he's doing a photo shoot and he spreads his arms and then it's that album cover yeah. of – and you're like, oh my god, this is the thing that I remember and connect to and has a yeah. has a visceral uh, association and I start and, – and there's little bits of our movie that do a similar thing, That's which exciting. is very exciting. What's the wonderful – always fascinating thing about impressions, which is what is it that we're looking for? And the, the best impressions right. are often not verbatim or exact, you know, caliendo. They are, they've captured the sort of ineffable thing that drew us to them, the charisma or the right. whatever. Well, and of course, there's impressions that an impressionist does, which is more to just entertain you. Like, you're right, that is what he's That's like. That's the voice, yeah. And then there's more of, of an actor playing a role, which is a different thing. It serves as a story just like any other character. And I mean, to me, the, what, for me as, as a director, it was such a, an amazing experience to do. I've never done a movie that's at all about real people of mm -hmm. any kind. And that's a period piece, much to say, uh, chronicling the people that invented the com comedic sensibility that gave birth to everything that I do yeah. and that everybody I know does. Like that's, you know, quite a, a challenge and, and an amazing new area for me. And also it was the first thing I did that's really not entirely comedic. You know, it's it's about comedy more than it is. It's funny, but it's it's a drama. I would only push back on you not doing things based on real figures because obviously, um, in many ways, the Wet Hot series has become the most right. compelling presidential drama since Steven Spielberg's and Lincoln. And I'm hoping that it is the definitive uh, document of what um, Reagan and Bush and Clinton were like. For me, it's more, and this is, I, I did want to end by speaking to your own performances. Um, you play, I believe you play Bill Clinton. I played Bill Clinton. In the, yeah, and what I loved most was that you entered the screen playing the saxophone. <laughs> just so you know who it is. Yeah, which is which is what we're talking about. It's that ineffable thing that is just yeah. perfect. That I had chills like you did the doors. <laughs> um, no, but I did I, – I, in all seriousness, something key about my enjoyment, particularly of the Wet Hot series, television series, is your performance as Yachon. Yachon. The uh, Israeli um, Thank you. transfer camper or counselor. counselor. And I really need to speak to this because – I, I, maybe I don't know if we had similar experiences, but 
I, I've met this person. Of course. If you've in, gone to Jewish summer camp, yeah. you've, you've met and been very irritated by Yaron. He was always named Avi in my right. experience, mm-hmm. and he always um, had spent time in a kibbutz yeah. and, had, and raves. Those are the right. two things that he knew a lot about. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you're, you're the 90s version of it. But yeah. yeah, same thing. Yeah. And he would just talk about the love parade and, you know, why weren't we all more open? And then he would steal my girlfriend. Right. Which one Avi did do in 1994 when I was watching The State, just to bring it full circle. But but there's a level of scholarship in but his he performance. Also, also probably just got out of a year of being in the army. Which <laughs> I had no respect for or appreciation right. of at the time. Um uh, yeah, I think that uh, the the Israeli ca- counselors that I encountered in all of my Jewish camp experiences were um, very uh, irritating and um, <laughs> just um, patronizing and irritatingly worldly. Yeah, and yeah, irritatingly worldly and like sexy in all the wrong ways and just like <laughs> you know. But, but it worked somehow. That was uh, my, yeah. Oh, it definitely worked. It and, always worked in a way that I could not work. Right. Oh, yeah. No, they had they had it all figured out in a way that I wanted to just shoot them. It's, you know? You've done a beautiful tribute to that. And, uh, I, I, you know, I think I might have had the idea to have the Israeli counselor, but um, a lot of the other writers uh, that we had in our writers' room kind of wrote out that character. And then we were reading it at the table reads, there was never a passing thought that I would play that part yeah. because it was just absurd. Yeah. Um, and then, but I was reading it as I remembered my Israeli counselors with that accent and everyone's like, you kind of got to play that part. It, it's, it might be the, my favorite part of both series because it is, you know, you're, you're, you're being, you're being modest when you say that it is not an accurate or, um, you know, that the, 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 these projects are somehow um, purely comedy. Oh, no, no. They're, they're, they're loaded with real that is nostalgia and observation for me, of course. Particularly yeah. that character. I think the key to what makes Wet Hot work <laughs> better than some of the just dumb spoofy movies that come out all the yeah. time is that it's it's coming from a very true deep heart place yes. for both of us. And we're talking about things that we really genuinely care about. We're not just being like, remember these stupid camp movies? You know, in fact, it's not based on camp movies at all. No, it spins based off on completely. Camp. Yeah. Um, I guess the obvious question is, is, is there more? There always could be. Uh, yeah. I think, I mean, I think going along with like taking everything as the source material, um, uh, we, we definitely want to do more. Um, my sense is that we probably will go, in some new direction uh, or some, you know, smaller side story direction. Um, but it's, un, you know, we haven't, haven't figured it out yet. Um, well, thanks for talking to me about it. Uh, wet Hot American Summer, not just Wet Hot. Don't, wet Hot American Summer. Don't be a hipster. It's on Netflix. All of it is on Netflix. The it's movie all on, is Netflix. on Netflix. It's the... actually not. Oops. It just got off. I don't know. It's so weird. So Netflix, get it together. If you haven't seen the original movie, you've got to like go on iTunes or something now. Wow. It's on stars also. They have $6 billion. I can say this. You shouldn't. $6 billion. Spend some to get the movie You back. know what? I think the deal was made yeah. and it expired. And when the deal was made, they didn't have $6 billion. They had like $40 from renting out DVDs in red envelopes. Right. Shameful. Okay. <laughs> go on iTunes and watch the film. Yeah. Then you can go to Netflix and you can watch the documentary on Netflix. You can still. watch the documentary. You can watch the first season. And then you can watch First Day of Camp. Yeah. And then you can thing. watch 10 years later. And then. And then you can watch everything else I've done. Yeah, and then you can watch Ozark or whatever if you want to. If you want, you, you can watch anything, or you can watch Orphan Black. Yeah, oh, that's your show. Yeah, which I just work. watched the the finale. It was great. There's always stuff to watch, but there's always more projects to do. Um, David Wayne, thanks for talking to me. Please come back and may talk I about come back movie. sometime and talk about more other stuff with you? Yeah, what else would you like to talk about? I'll tell you when I come back. <laughs> always leave them with a cliffhanger. Yep, that's it's storytelling. <laughs>